Uh, I thought you were messing with me. <laughs> Must have just been a slow connection. Welcome to Shirts and Ties, a culture and education podcast. I'm Casey Shirts. And I'm Brian Miller. Brian, my man, what are we talking about today? The recognition gap. The recognition gap. And this comes primarily from a book that I uh, just wrapped up reading that I would highly recommend called The Power of Moments, Why Certain Experiences Have Extraordinary Impact by Chip and Dan Heath. I've re- referenced them before. They were kind of the genesis behind that knowledge gap versus knowledge curse discussion that we had a couple months ago now. Um, but they had this quote that really stuck out to me, and I threw it on uh, this this principal, the principal's desk uh, Facebook page that I follow. You know, there's 200 some thousand followers, and it just kind of exploded a little bit. People just really either uh, interacted with it or were convicted by it. So here's the quote. More than 80% of supervisors claim they frequently express appreciation to their subordinates, while less than 20% of the employees report that their supervisors express appreciation more than occasionally. They call it the recognition gap. So there's this huge discrepancy between what supervisors think that they're doing, and they use the word subordinates, but uh, employees feel that is happening. And that is really convicting to me and challenging to me, but it's also very confusing to me. So I I just want to chat about maybe why that is uh, and then provide some potential solutions on how we can bridge that gap. What do you think? Well, I guess my first thought is, what if they're both wrong? Is that what's going on here? They're both just wrong? That that a lot of the uh, leaders who say that they're expressing gratitude or whatever are, are actually not. And a lot of teachers who are saying I'm unsupported actually are. I think there's, that's probably the, the most simple answer. Yes. So we can wrap it up after that. Okay. Uh, so the, guys, this has been fun. <laughs> what's your takeaway? Uh, <laughs> because that is it, right? I do think that the answer is yes and no. Um, they are both wrong and they're, neither of them are wrong. I do think at least I'm just going to speak like from the supervisors that I know, um, principals that I know, business leaders that I know, they are very intentional and work very, very hard to show appreciation. So I do think that leaders are trying. Good leaders are trying. I also think that employees are not feeling appreciated. And I do think I kind of wrestled with this quite a bit. And I have three kind of theories of why I think this is because I think really what it is is just a disconnect of of seeing or feeling the intention of somebody else. Does that make sense? Sure. And and I have a, a few things written down too on that point. I guess whenever you're ready to get into it, we can. But I, I was thinking about, you know, that scene in Goodwill Hunting where he's taking a look at the psychologist's books, or maybe it's the history professor books. I think that might be it. And he's like, he says something like, you surround yourself by all these books, but you you, you waste your damn time on all the wrong books instead of the right ones. Hmm. And I wonder if our leaders are doing things that they think are recognizing the staff, but they're really just wasting their time because they're not doing the right things to recognize the staff. I think right and wrong might be a little bit too black and white, a little bit too harsh, but I do think there is a, so one of, one of the, the reasons why I think there's a gap is, and what you're hitting on is this kind of idea of the love languages, right? So um, I think that leaders 
tell me if you think this is wrong or right. Leaders tend to be a personality type, not all of them, but they tend to be kind of a personality type. And so they are expressing gratitude in a way that they, maybe they appreciate it or the way that they think, you know, I say it all the time. I write it in email. So they think they are doing it, but it's not being received because their employees, they don't think that way. They don't feel appreciation that way. So it either is just ignored or in some ways it's actually, it might even be offensive of like, that's, that's it. That's all you got for me. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a great point is the love language. Um, excuse me. The Can love you say language. That? Say that word yep. again. Hold on. I'm going to edit that out. No, nope, you're not. <laughs> Midwest mumble, baby. I got it. <laughs> the love language. Thank you. Uh, uh, there you go. I've always found that a, a little interesting and I think it gets misused. And here's what I mean. You'll see those, you know, people will be tweeting out, you know, coffee and snacks. That's my love language or something. That's not the intention. I don't think of understanding love language. The point is I need to understand your love language so that I communicate to you in a way that makes sense for you. It's not about yes. me and my love language. So yes. Even the concept of love language, I don't think is is quite right. I think it's really just a way to define how to better understand the people you're working with and then better communicate with those people. Yeah, it's several episodes ago, we talked about, I, I used uh, Gary or Jerry, however you say his name, Brooks, uh, where he does these very tangible things with the staff. And one of the things that he asks, he asked us leaders in this, in this conference was, uh, do you know the M&Ms of your staff, right? So like, which which of your staff would choose the peanut M&Ms? Which would choose the regular M&Ms? Who would choose the caramel filled? You know, whatever. And it's, this is, that's the concept of love language, right? So you're absolutely right in that I'm going to gravitate towards my love languages when I show appreciation to people uh, or when I interact with people, because that's just, that's who I am. I'm doing it unconsciously, but it's not landing the way that I want it to with people who, for example, so some of like, you know, the five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, receiving gifts, quality time, acts of service, right? So if I'm a, a words of affirmation person and I feel like I need people to say, hey, Mr. Miller, thank you for whatever. Mr. Miller, you're really good at whatever. Like if, if that's how I feel appreciated, but my boss is more of an acts of service. And so he's intentionally maybe making sure my room is clean every morning, or he's intentionally making sure that, you know, all of these things are, are solved so that the day gets started perfectly. Well, if, if I don't, if that's not the way that I interpret acts of love, then, then I don't see it. So I don't acknowledge it. But my boss is feeling like, man, I get up every, early every morning and I walk the halls of my school every morning. So yeah, they feel appreciated because look at all these things that I'm doing. And people just aren't recognizing it or, or feeling that that sense of appreciation. What do you think? Well, first of all, you've already messed up the day because you left out peanut butter M&Ms. So clearly you're not speaking my language. My bigger question though is like, how do you figure that out? Because, in, and that's part of me is wondering if maybe we have to shift our thinking away from love language a little bit and see if there's some other pillars. And I, I have some ideas here in a second, but that that is a primary question, which is how do you understand your staff well enough to know how to communicate with them. Some of that can be, I'm never really a big person of sending out like these surveys of, you know, what do you like? What do you, whatever. They, I'm sure that they work and some people can make them work. I never do. But really what it is, is 
being intentional, right? Like being under spending time and being aware of, of what is actually connecting with people. Like there was a woman that I worked with. Her name was Allison Allen. She was a fantastic English teacher um, when I was living overseas. And when I, my last year, I was the principal there in the school and she was going to be my predecessor. And so I almost stumbled across showing appreciation to her by accident because one of my kind of goodbye ceremonies was that I spent an evening just thoroughly cleaning my office. And it was like this very methodical way to say goodbye to the school and whatever. And she texted me a week later saying, thank you so much. That's my love language is acts of service. Thank you for cleaning the office. And so you just kind of, when, when you, when you are leading your students or your staff, you have to just kind of be intentional about picking up about what really resonates with people. What, what do they really respond to? But I feel like I've jumped ahead or you've forced me to jump ahead. So thank yeah, you. My bad. Yeah, it's okay. Um, but there's two other components that I think are a little bit more appropriate for why this gap might exist. And one of them is the five steps of dependency. And tell me if you think this connection works. Okay. So the five steps of dependency is this. If you give somebody something once, they appreciate it. So I'm thinking of like a new principal coming in or you start off the new year and you do this new idea that you have, right? We're going to, whatever it might be, you have this new idea and everyone's like, wow, that's really, really great. You get some really positive feedback. So you do it again, right? But in the five steps of, of dependency, when you do something the second time, they go from appreciation to anticipation. Now they're going to anticipate it. If you do it a third time, they expect it. You do it a fourth time, they're entitled to it. And suddenly the fifth time they're dependent upon it. And when you are dependent or entitled or even expect something, you no longer acknowledge it as appreciation. And so the principal or the leader or the teacher feels like I'm still doing this thing that you really, really love that you feel appreciated for or by. But now the the mood has shifted or the, the feeling has shifted to entitlement or dependent. I feel like I'm doing it. That's my 80% of supervisors claiming they express appreciation. You are 20% or less because it's no longer appreciated. What do you think? I think that's a great point. And a couple of things I thought about as you were going through that list is, first of all, I think it's one reason that rah-rah leadership can struggle a little bit because it's so dependent on coming up with the next new surprising thing that people might enjoy. And that's exhausting. You know, one reason I like teaching is because I'd have my students for a year and then they would go away. You could reduplicate everything. That's right. And that's I why I keep moving schools, man. I have the same rehearsed PowerPoints. <laughs> I'm glad you said it. <laughs> but it is tough. And and I think you have to get beyond that rah-rah stuff. And then your point about doing that same task and thinking that's enough because it was liked once and it should be liked again. That's almost the opposite of the raw, raw guy. That's a guy that lacks any kind of, or, or lady that lacks any kind of creativity is not reading the moment or the room and yeah. is just, you know, repeating the same thing again and again. What I don't like about this though, and where I find a flaw in this, this, I mean, I do think that this makes a ton of sense to me. So this very succinct um, delineation of, of how we think makes a lot of sense to me. So it convicts me to, to not just rely upon it worked in the past. It's going to work in the future. The problem that I don't love with this, though, is what it's skipping is when you do something repetitive, that becomes tradition. And we love traditions. So 
this isn't all bad. You want to continue doing things. You want to have that sort of ceremonious thing because it is it becomes tradition. So I guess maybe the the, the lesson is how you do that thing. You you still need to do that thing, but you want to always kind of refresh it. You don't want to just put up the exact same PowerPoint. You don't want to bring in the exact same snacks. Like there always has to be a freshness to it or an intentionality to it, but don't be afraid of re- repetition because we also thrive on repetition. It, it feels like a, a structure. It gives safety and security to a thing. With my students, you know, when I was in the classroom, students kind of knew the routine of the week they knew that on Monday we'd, we'd kind of build up for the week. I'd usually have some kind of conversation, a little bit of direct instruction, a couple of things really catch their attention. Then we'd have a couple of research days. Then they'd have an independent uh, day where we'd do a little, you know, I'd sit down with kids, that kind of thing. And the kids would get used to that routine. And there was a safety and security in knowing today when I show up, here's what Mr. Schertz is going to expect of me. But every once in a while, we'd have to drop something new in. Yeah. Mix it up a bit, get some excitement. But in the course of the year, you had those two things. You had the the safety of the structure, and yeah. then you had the occasional surprises that people could enjoy. Are you going to come back to the love language again? Uh, I can, yeah. Well, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't um, getting ahead because I, I had another, the John Gottman Institute has something that's slightly different on how to, it's called the Sound Relationship House, but I like the concept of it. And basically the the two walls containing this house are trust and commitment. And, and if it works out, I can get into some of the details of that. But that idea of having a routine and things that we expect is part of that trust component. Surprising people with things that they enjoy and like is part of that commitment because you have committed to know and understand them better so that occasionally you can surprise them with things that they like. I like that a lot. I think, and I, and I think that fits well with, probably for me, the more the five steps of dependency rather than love languages, because you need that dependency. Dependency is not bad because dependency oftentimes can be birthed out of trust or should be birthed out of trust, right? Um, So I'm dependent on my wife for a ton of things. She's dependent on me and my kid, like whatever. Dependency is not bad, Um, but you have to have that sense of surprise or again, just intentionality, right? So you said it was trust and it was commitment. Commitment, right? So I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to my kids. I'm committed to my building, my staff. But and that builds trust. So in that trust, when I have that trust, I'm actually allowed to do some weird and creative things a little bit off the cuff, only if they trust me. Like they'll walk into it, maybe a little bit leery, maybe a little bit like, what's Miller going to do now? But I think they trust. And I actually had this in one of my end of the year evaluations, where one of the, uh, the critiques of me was, sometimes things don't really land the way that like, in the best way that they should. We trust your intention. We trust that you have what's best for kids or for, for our staff, but sometimes we want you to think a little bit longer on, on doing this thing. And that's some great feedback for me because that is my personality. I think I've told you before and I've, my wife definitely laughs about it. If she was like me, we'd be dead a long time ago uh, because I'm just more of like this, let's try it out. Let's figure it out as we go. Um, and that doesn't always work, but the trust and commitment are, I think, fantastic pillars to this strong structure of even appreciation because it allows me to consistently show appreciation, but also try these new and creative ways because they, they trust the person. What do you think? I think that's great. And and actually, since you mentioned it, I'll go ahead and uh, point out that within this house, the, the John Gottman Institute had created is 
share fondness and admiration. And mm. and so you have an opportunity within the space that you're working now because of that trust, because of that commitment to share that fondness and admiration. Hmm. That's really good. Yeah. It's I good like stuff. All right. I got another one. You ready? Yeah. So we have, why does this gap exist? Number one, potentially the five steps of dependency. Another one is loss aversion. You ever heard of loss aversion? The power of loss aversion? I mean, I can guess what it is, but let's hear about it. Uh, so, and I just kind of stumbled across this and just kind of thinking about this appreciation. So loss aversion uh, is a cognitive bias that describes why the pain of losing is psychologically twice as powerful as the pleasure of gaining. And so an example could be, or the, the, this um, research gave, was when you lose $20, that's more psychologically frustrating than when you stumble across $20, right? Um, and so where I think this is important to me is sometimes... When, when this survey comes out and they say 20% or less feel don't feel very appreciated by their uh, bosses. I wonder if what they're wrestling with holistically is missed opportunities of support throughout the year. And what I mean, because, th because that's going to impact their, that's going to impact them so much more than this thing that you did on a Wednesday afternoon or this Friday afternoon where the, where the boss was very intentional about giving them their staff this appreciation. And, and you, the boss, spent a ton of time on it and even money on it. And you felt like this was a huge rah-rah thing. But what you didn't do two weeks earlier, when the staff really needed you to do something and you didn't show up, maybe all for all the right reasons, you were busy or you had other things going on, but you didn't show up that moment of you not providing what they needed is so much more powerful than the very intentional time-consuming moment of providing what you thought they needed. When you shared that this was going to be the topic, the first thing I wrote down, the first thing I wrote down was lack of presence. Hmm. So, and that can mean a couple of things. Like literally, I don't see you in the hallways. I don't, like I never have you showing up in my classroom chatting with me talking to, or it could be, I'm talking to you, but I can tell you're thinking about something mm. else, right? And that lack of presence, I don't want to say it's an easy fix because obviously building leaders and, and classroom teachers and everybody, they're very, very busy, but it is easy to understand and therefore yes. so clear that it's probably a little easier to attack. That's and so very, that was very clear. Uh, that was very good. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. And I want you to keep going, but I, I just want to highlight what you just said. It's not an easy fix, but it's very easy to understand. I appreciate that. That's good. Yeah. Keep going. And, and I, just with clarity, and, and that's what I've come to find in my, in my current job is once you have some clarity on things, then you know how to attack it, or you at least can try some things out. And so it was a, an episode or two ago where you talked about those jars with the teacher's names, like come up with some procedures to hold yourself accountable to being present. That's really good. Let me just kind of give you, maybe this is like this weird, uh, you hit the nail on the head, you clarified it. I feel like we could wrap it up. I I'm going to like wrap it up again. <laughs> All right. Uh, because I just want to give an example of maybe where, when I read this, why it impacted me so much or why it struck a chord with me so much is, is because I feel this ever so recently when, um, when I have a staff or two 
who, for a variety of reasons, we have the high school orchestra come in, they're going to do a show, or we have an assembly or whatever it might be, and a teacher loses a prep. And I have a couple staff members who that's a really, really big deal, right? Really, really big deal. And that's fine. I understand it. It's fine. I have also been very intentional about giving extra time to teachers, right? So whether I'm going to come in for 15 minutes and I'm going to read a book to your kids so you can go get a cup of coffee or you can just kind of go relax for a little bit, or I'm going to do this assembly or I'm going to do these, we call them extravaganza days, or I'm going to give you a full hour. So this is just an, it's an intriguing concept to me because I've had this discussion. I'm going to give you, the teacher, an hour off or an hour and a half. We've done an hour, an hour and a half. But if that hour or hour and a half, that was a a Midwest mumble there for you. In that (laughs) hour or hour and a half, if that consumes your prep time, there's a complaint. And I want to say, you're not losing anything. You're gaining But that loss aversion, no, 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 no. I lost my 30 minutes rather than I gained 90 minutes. What It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. This loss of aversion bias is very real. And so I need to acknowledge that. And that's where sometimes I feel like if if a, a supervisor says, do you feel supported? They say no. The supervisor instantly goes to all the events in their heads and all the attempts in their heads where I provided support, I wrote these things, I did these things, I provided these opportunities. And the teacher or the students are thinking, when I needed you, you weren't there. And that is what was the the percentage that I gave? Uh, Twice as powerful. It's twice as powerful the loss than is the gain. I wonder how much of that leaders can manage. And we're here to think out loud about possible solutions, but Uh, John Steinbeck, one of my favorite authors, has a quote in East of Eden. To me, it's to this point, which is we do have a lot of people who are behaving as if they are being victimized. And that's a frustration. And and you and I have thought out loud about that a lot. And I I don't know if we've ever figured out a solution, but, but here's the quote. Do you take pride in your hurt? Does it make you seem large and tragic? Well, think about it. Maybe you're playing a part on a great stage with only yourself as the audience. Hmm. I wonder how much of what we're, we're seeing with at least that small group is them just wanting to feel tragic so that they are noticed, you know, part of that fringe group. Okay. I'm going to ask you to press pause on that. So we're, I know you just came up with that quote from memory. You didn't read it off the screen. So try of course. And, <laughs> of course. Uh, what I want you to do is highlight it because and part of my solutions, I talk about exactly that. Okay. Um, and, and I want to address that. So that's a beautiful, it's a much more beautiful way in, of saying it than I will in the next maybe 10, 15 minutes. So hold on. That, I just want the audience to know that I have all of this stored in my mind. Yeah, I can tell. But I love it. And Steinbeck, East of Eden, one of the best. Um, oh. Okay. Do we need to come back to, to love languages? Or those are my three. The five steps of, def- of dependency, loss of aversion, and the love languages. Do you have another? I don't think so. Uh, I'm, I'm going to listen to you a little bit more. And if some things come up that, that make sense in that sound relationship house, maybe I'll just, you know, add to it. But otherwise, I think we're good to keep going. Okay. Well, my next step is to get to the what do we do about it. So before we do that, though, I, I do want to maybe use this little bit of time as a pivot to just, again, recognize Peer Driven PD, one of our sponsors. Uh, and just want to chat about that and encourage um, our listeners to to look into it. 
Uh, again, Mike Halpert, a former middle school teacher and administrator. He worked in small suburban districts uh, all throughout the state of Oregon. Him and his team, just a ton of experience, a ton of knowledge. Um, they are currently serving administrators in more than 25 states, and they're just doing a phenomenal job of providing real content for real teachers that is timely, that is specific, and that can directly impact their classrooms. The great thing about peer-driven PD is they have a bunch of what they call it podcastable PD, which is super cool. And their 20 to 30 minute podcast, all they do is they log into peer-driven PD. At the end, they can take a three-minute quiz, get a certificate. So it's really good stuff. Yeah, they have courses tailor fit for specific age levels, project-based learning at elementary schools, unconventional math. You mentioned this last time, getting kids unstuck. They have an array of classes everywhere that can fit pretty much almost anybody at any given time. And I just feel like uh, we all get frustrated with attending these professional development courses or, or classes that are taught by somebody that's not in the classroom, or at least it's not relevant to what's going on. Through peer-driven PD, you can get on there, you can find exactly what you're looking for, you can do it on your own time, and it can impact your classroom today, tomorrow, next year, whatever it might be. Yeah, and building leaders, listen to this. Teachers who get to choose their PD are three times happier with the professional development. If you start using this in your school, use it in breakout sessions. Let teachers just kind of choose the thing that they're doing. Your teachers are going to be happier for it. Yeah, and they're going to go back to our previous discussion, they're going to trust that you trust them, right? You're going to build this connection because you are trusting them to, hey, I'm going to give you time. You're going to go learn something new. You're going to be creative. It's fantastic. So check out Peer Driven PD, Men's and Shirts and Ties, and you get 10% off that purchase and for the next year. 10% off is a big deal. Mention Shirts and Ties, shirts spelled S-C-H-U-R-T-Z and T-I-E-S. Thank you, Mike Alpert and Peer Driven PD. All right. Ready for some uh, mud on the boot solutions here? Let's hear it. Okay. I think I want to acknowledge something very quickly. Everybody, even those who claim they don't, everybody wants to be acknowledged for the things that they do. They want to know that they make a difference. And I finished reading a book recently called In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom by Yeonmi Park. And... It's a beautiful, beautiful story, but she has this phrase in there and it's a North Korean sort of motto or something like that. I don't know exactly what to call it. And I don't often glean wisdom from North Korea, but this is a beautiful image, which is the green forest flutters in our land and mountains. And I didn't plant even one tree. Right. And so it's kind of like this message to go off and do something, serve your country, serve your country, serve your country. But I think that's one of the biggest fears that everybody has is that at the end of their life, either they didn't plant a tree in the forest, they didn't contribute to this forest, or nobody knows what they did. Nobody knows the amount of trees that they planted. And then that is a little bit selfish, but I'm in the same way. And I think that you are too, right? I, I'm okay with doing the right thing because it's always right to do what's right. But every now and then, and maybe more often than every now and then, I want to be acknowledged that I'm doing the right thing, that what I'm doing matters, which, I mean, obviously I think you agree with that. Yeah. And uh, I guess I'll just stick with Matt Damon movies here for references, but the end of saving private Ryan, when he's at that grave and he's like, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I've yeah. lived a good life. Yeah. We all do want to know that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that 
all those maybe leaders, teachers, bosses, whatever we might be, although that stat might be frustrating that less than 20% think that they are feeling appreciated. The bigger root is a, is a couple of different things. One of them being, we want it so badly. And when you want it so badly, flip it little appreciations don't matter much. Yeah. And I want to go back. So in that sound relationship house, there's one of the things that people are need to do in order to keep that trust and commitment is to turn towards instead of away. And one of the things that we've worked very hard at here in this building the last couple of years is to maintain connections between the people in this building. And what that does is, first of all, it helps eliminate any gaps in understanding, right? Which can contribute to the recognition gap. And an example, our intervention support team has kind of been hashing out some things lately. And there's been some really interesting conversations about that end with something like, well, it's nice to know that. I didn't hmm. know that. And hmm. that line, when I heard that the first time, and it's happened a couple of times lately, like to me, that meant a lot because yeah. it meant for the first time we were saying out loud some difficult things, things that needed to be said out loud, needed to be clarified so that we could understand. And now all of a sudden the gap that existed between those two people or those two groups shrank immensely. They were much closer afterwards because they had the information they needed. So you're hitting on a point that I thought of on the on the way in. And this isn't part of, I don't have this in my, my outline here and I want to get to that soon. But one of the things that I've been considering as, as I've been preparing for this week is this idea of, of appreciation. And you just kind of hit on it, which is appreciation oftentimes doesn't just mean thank you for what you do. It's an acknowledgement of the hard work you do. And why I think that's a, a, a strong component is because the, the idea of war came to mind in, in, a, in, a, um, in a, a soldier coming back from the battlefield. I can say thank you with tears in my eyes and and be very appreciative of all that he or she has done and truly say thank you. And they, they probably will hear that, receive it, all of that. But a World War II veteran who understands what it means to go to war, who understands what it means to, to not sleep for days on end and, and eat terrible foods and see your brothers and sisters fall. When they say thank you, it's so much more because they understand the power of what you did. And so sometimes I believe that in our appreciation in this appreciation gap, a recognition gap, is we are not recognizing verbally the harshness of this profession Largely because it has rather quickly in the last several years gotten progressively more difficult. And so the things that we did for appreciation two, three, four years ago, they don't really mean a whole lot right now because we have not done a great and quality job of recognizing just how hard this profession is. What do you think? I think it's a great point. And it actually had me thinking even more about how we show appreciation and thinking about ourselves and how we might offer appreciation to others. If I have not myself been in the classroom, mm. been through that work, saying thank you might not be enough. I yeah. might have to instead say, all right, this has got to be a tough job. Uh, here's a gift card to Starbucks. Enjoy that thing. Because my thanks, I, I don't understand what it's like being in here. But what I can do is I can make sure you get a cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Because even like, although that cup of coffee doesn't feel like much, right? It's not, it's not nearly enough. 
But what it does do is it's a recognition of, I remember what it was like in the, being in the classroom when I didn't have time to get a nice cup of coffee. And so I want to give you this because I know how much it meant to me every now and then when somebody just brought me a cup of coffee. Yeah. So that's great. Um, okay. So here I have three, I have three sort of solutions here. <laughs> and my first one is, is kind of my favorite because it's maybe a little bit uh, harsh, but it goes back to your um, East of Eden quote. So keep that in mind, recall that a little bit. So one of the first solutions that I have is nothing. <laughs> you can't do anything. And, and this is, <laughs> and isn't that encouraging? <laughs> we, we really got something here, man. Fill the book with this. Yeah. No, here's here's what I mean by that. Let me <laughs> let me draw this out. That solution comes from the book Givers and Takers, uh, who's it's written by Adam Grant, uh, and it's why uh, it's a fantastic book about cultures in, in a, any sort of whether it be schools, whether it be universities, businesses. This concept of givers and takers, and here is his quote. Givers and takers, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it a little bit. Givers and takers differ in their attitudes and actions towards other people. If you're a giver, you help whenever the benefit to others exceeds the, your own personal cost. You simply share your time, energy, knowledge, skill, ideas, and connections with the people who can benefit, right? That's a giver. A taker are people who strategically give when it, the cost and the benefits outweigh for their own personal selves, right? They give time, energy, knowledge, skills, ideas, and connections with people who can benefit them in the long run, okay? So why I would draw this distinction and why I say to some extent, you can do nothing about it, and it's to your point. There are some people that no matter what you do, they are simply takers, 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 and you cannot satisfy a taker. You can satisfy a giver, you cannot satisfy a taker. And so when we can begin to acknowledge that, now that's not like absolving us, us of any responsibilities, but it does give us a pass of you will never satisfy this person. So stop trying. <laughs> and it, at the very beginning, when I talked about don't waste your time on the wrong things. Yes. It, it's Sometimes it's probably tough to identify what those wrong things are, but that would be an example. If you're spending a lot of energy trying to give to takers, they're just going to keep taking it and then you know packing it away and then saying, yes. hey, give me the next thing. I don't feel so appreciated. I don't feel appreciated. I don't feel appreciated. And you just, and that's a difficult place to kind of land. And what I don't like about these kinds of um, solutions is that I don't ever want to just start suddenly saying, well, they're just a taker. They're just a taker. And so suddenly I absolve myself of responsibility because I just identify 95% of my staff as takers, <laughs> right? No, that's not fair. So it is a small percentage, but just allowing ourselves to understand that there might be some. Can I add so. to that too? So we had, you know, when I was a teacher, I had students who were takers, right? You cannot just give up on them. Of course, of course. your staff, you can't check in still check in. Sure. You, you don't have to do anything beyond that if they're, if they're going to just keep taking, but you know, part, part of being present is just checking in with people and just letting them know. And I think a lot of times, eventually they, they might just say out loud a thing that they need and you can give them that. And at least for a yep. brief moment, you will have satisfied them. Yep. Yep. I think you still need to do the right thing. You still need to appreciate. Yep. You still need to reach out. You still need to connect. Um, there's just a, a, maybe don't take it so personal uh, yep. because it's, at the end, it's really not about you. So that's number one. Number two, um, <clears throat> so you referenced, you know, some uh, goodwill hunting and uh, saving private Ryan. 
on that same top shelf of movie brilliance, I'm going to quote Lion King, um, which is remember who you are. Okay. So this is uh, very important to me because oftentimes what we can do is when people who we serve begin to draw out our weaknesses, and one of them is going to be on how we show appreciation, what they're truly doing is identifying our weaknesses as a, a, as a person, right? So I'm, I'm really, maybe really, really good at this. I'm not great at that. That's going to be the thing that's going to be highlighted in my building or in my classroom. And so that's what's going to be recognized. I already know that. So remember who you are has two components. Number one, just because somebody is saying you're bad at this or you're weak at this or you're not doing a good job at that doesn't mean you aren't doing some other things fantastic. So again, there's that component of like, because you've done it so often, it's no longer appreciated. It's now anticipated or it's expected. Keep doing your fantastic things. Keep being who you are. Keep acknowledging people in the way that in your love language, to go back to that phrase or whatever it might be, keep embracing the, the gifts and the talents that you've been given to benefit other people. Remember that. But also remember who you are and your weaknesses. You have to acknowledge them. You have to put in safeguards, kind of going back to what you just said. If, if, if you don't do a good job of acknowledging all your staff, get those two jars, put names out there, right? That's a, skate, a safeguard to ensure that you're connecting with all people. And what came to my mind was Picasso. Because if Picasso in his early stages listened to all the people who said, this is what you're not doing well, you need to be more realistic in your art. You need to be more, and stop being so abstract. If Picasso would have listened to all of the quote unquote wisdom around him, he would have lost sight of who he was and who his strengths were. And we wouldn't have Picasso. He would have fallen by the wayside of everybody else around him. And so there is a very real I think reminder of when we hear these things, we as leaders can get so discouraged and we start focusing on our weaknesses. And when we do that, we get discouraged and we get exhausted. And then we actually start neglecting the things that we've been doing very, very well. What do you think? Part of keeping connections. And, and this is one of the things I appreciate about you. The very few things I appreciate <laughs> about you. <laughs> no. uh, so far, my list on my wall is two. So this is number two. All right. Um, your willingness to hear difficult things, maintaining a connection and knowing that you have weaknesses and being willing to hear those and let people say those things out loud or say out loud the things that aren't going well is incredibly important to maintaining these connections. And it makes people feel heard and being heard makes people feel appreciated. Right. Yeah, that's true. Now, if I do something about it, right, I, I mean, have to do something about it. And that doesn't mean I'm going to satisfy I got to try. But this is partly where I think that us as leaders need to be better at, which is if you are a leader who is has strength in maybe it's just the motivational component of your building. You're great at building relationships. You're great at being present. You walk around, you're high-fiving people. You, you tend to kind of show up where people need you, whatever. You're that kind of principal. And maybe you're getting critiqued of you're not a type A principal. Now, if not, I'm actually speaking maybe even directly just to myself. So if I spent all my time focusing on my type A-ness, I'm going to really struggle. I'm still not going to do it well. I'm going to be really frustrated. I won't have the joy of my profession. And I'm going to start neglecting the strengths of what I am. So part of when somebody comes to you and says, here's where I'm struggling. Here's what I need from you. 
I don't always have to solve it, but I can find people who will. And so to my next point, be the hero or be the villain. Sometimes what we need to do is if somebody comes and says, our staff is really struggling in this, you're not doing a good job of it. I can either take it personal and get pissy and get defensive, or I can make it personal and do something about it. And sometimes what that means is empowering somebody else to help you out. And I have some fantastic staff who have kind of taken up the charge on a couple of different things. They're like, hey, we got this. We want to do this. That might seem like we're shirking responsibilities, but we're not. We're allowing our staff and our community to thrive as each person. People want to, again, they want to add to the forest. They want to build trees in the forest and they want to know that they're making a difference. Sometimes giving them more work is not exhausting. It's exhilarating. And it's, and it's inspiring because they feel like they're adding more to the forest. What do you think before I go to my next and last point? Well, I, I think that if, if it's done under the right conditions and you're not demanding people to do things that you need to be doing, then what you are doing to your point, you, you say building or, you know, growing the forest. and, And sometimes I think it's about building a culture. You want the people who are in that culture to be helped building it. And they will take care of that thing just as they would take care of the forest. Yes. Uh, a phrase that I like to use that sometimes gets me into trouble is when somebody comes and asks if they can do something, my response is the answer is always yes. We just got to figure out how, right? So of course you want to do this thing. Yes. We just got to figure out the best way to do it because I, don't, I want that culture of, we have this idea. Can we try? Absolutely. Let's figure out the best way how. So here's my last point. And maybe this is even more directly to your uh, East of Eden. Be the hero, not the villain. Okay, so this is even more towards my own conviction or towards the people who tend to be that, you know, we don't really feel that appreciated. If that is maybe your sentiment or if it's my at times my sentiment or towards my bosses or towards whomever, where I feel like I'm not appreciated enough, I can choose in that moment to be the hero or the villain because they both have the same backstory. Oftentimes in literature and movies, whatever it is, heroes and villains both have the same backstory. Both of them have experienced immense pain. So I'm even thinking of like some of your more like comic book heroes, the the villain will have some sort of physical ailment, some sort of physical scar. The, the hero won't, but they both have immense loss and pain in their past. The villain says, the world has hurt me, so I'm going to hurt it back. The hero says, the world has hurt me, and I'm going to make sure nobody else has to be hurt. So if we are somebody who says, I don't feel appreciated, I don't feel appreciated, I don't feel appreciated. Welcome to the entire world who doesn't feel appreciated. You now have a choice. Are you going to ensure that nobody else feels unappreciated? Or are you going to hurt the world back and make everybody feel your pain of not being appreciated? A while back on on one of our episodes, I talked about the happiness class and, and some of the things that it suggested that we should do as humans to be happy. And one of the most important is to when you are suffering the most, you need to start giving. You need to start taking care of others. And and I talk to my own children about that. When I see my, my kids kind of in a tough place, I'm like, one of the easiest ways to get out of that place is just do some nice things for some other people. Yep. I think we are all given gifts, talents, resources. And I I do think it is our calling or is our responsibility to figure out ways to, to give that away to people. Sadly, one of the gifts that we all have is pain and suffering. And we can decide what we do with that pain and suffering. We can decide to give it, to use your phrase, don't give your pain to somebody else. Or we can decide to use that experience and ensure that no one else is going to feel this pain. 
I'm, I'm going to walk around and protect people. Brian, you've lived a good life. You're a good man. Thank you. <laughs> you turd. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, but I, and I, no, I know I'm, you're saying, I have, I'm, of course you are, but that is radically important. Think about, like, I'm even thinking, uh, uh, you know, I was raised in a very Bible believing home. Um, the phrase, well done, thy good and faithful servant, right? Well done. I actually find myself, that phrase is so simple, but think about when a boss looks at you and says, well done. When your father looks at you, well done, right? Like, I know, I know you're just kind of being a little bit joking, but that is a very strong sentiment. Well done. And that's honestly sometimes what people just all the sudden they want to hear. Well yeah. done. Yeah. And not like, like you say, you know, as they're checking their text on their way out the door. But intentional. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Anything else you got? No, that's good stuff, man. I appreciated this one. This has helped me, I think, clarify a lot of how I don't show appreciation and sometimes why, even in my own, like on both sides, right? So sometimes I feel defensive when people say we don't feel appreciated and I can go through all the litany of reasons how they should. But this five steps of dependency has helped. The loss of aversion has helped. The love languages has helped. Your words have kind of helped. Um, but more than anything, it's it's my own heart too, right? Like, why don't I feel appreciated? Well, maybe I too am suffering through the five steps of, of dependency. Or more importantly, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to be a hero or am I going to be a villain? What, what are your takeaways? What do you got? Do, are we, we're not doing another read for peer-driven PD to give me a moment? <laughs> Uh, no, I feel like when it's on me, I, I'm not taking, or I'm not giving you any time. I need you to be on the hot seat. What do you got? All right. I, I enjoyed thinking about that five steps of dependency and then also breaking it apart a little bit. So I got the point about if you, if you give people, they, they come to expect it and then become dependent on it. But I also liked separating that out into, there should be some things that people can depend on. Yes. And then there should also be some surprises along the way. Yes. All right. So what's your takeaway, man? Uh, I really appreciated uh, kind of in the beginning when we were talking about being present, you, you mentioned about, we were talking about the importance of not letting, when, when teachers are in need, you have to be there to support them, right? Because that's going to be more impactful if you don't support them when you try to support. Uh, and you mentioned something like being present. P- principles need to be present. Uh, and the phrase that you used was, it is difficult to do, right, to always be more present, but it is very easy to understand. And so I think there, what I like about that is it's a responsibility on me to work hard to be present, but it's also a little bit of grace on me and that like I'm trying and try the best you can, but also when you fail, it's easy to understand that teachers might get frustrated by that. So uh, I just, I like I like that. That was good. So thank you. Let's be honest, though. It's a hell of a podcast. It's a good listen. Go back and listen to it. <laughs> Thank you for today and for, for spending some time. I really appreciated this. It's always great to see you. And uh, next week, you're on. Do you have the topic yeah, yet? I do. It's a good one. All right. Well, until then, do great things, my brother. And keep knocking. All right. Peace. See ya. We're just two friends hanging out Sharing ideas, talking about Things that matter in this life 
how to make a change, how to make it right. Gonna start a podcast to change the world. We'll speak our minds and hearts, let our voices be heard. Gonna make a podcast and make a difference. We'll be the change we want to see. Nothing's gonna stop us now Talk about the issues Need to be addressed Politics to human rights Give it our best We'll have guests on our show Experts in their field Learn and grow together, make our message heard. Gonna start a podcast and change the world. Speak our minds and hearts, let our voices be heard. Gonna start a podcast, make a difference. We'll be the change we want to see, and nothing's gonna stop us now.